Welcome to Behind the Warrior, a podcast presented by the EOD Warrior Foundation. This series will focus on resources, interviews, and topics impacting EOD warriors, their families, and the military community at large. Hello, everyone. This is Maria Shabla, and welcome to Behind the Warrior podcast. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Air Force veteran and secretary of the EOD Master Blasters, Doc, or Baby Doc, depending on who you are asking, Dutton. Welcome to the podcast, Doc. Hey, Maria. It's good to talk to you. <laughs> well, we're glad to have you, and, and we're very excited to be talking with you today. Um, so, Doc, you and your father were the very first father and son to be both on active duty in the EOD career field at the same time in the Air Force. But before we get into that, where did you grow up and what was your childhood like? Oh my gosh. Um, I consider myself a military brat. We moved all around the world. Uh, a lot of it was spent in uh, Europe and the uh, Southwest United States. In fact, I graduated from high school in Albuquerque, New Mexico, when my dad was stationed at Kirtland. Oh, wow. So all over Europe and, and in the Southwest? Yes. And the bad thing is, as we get into this, you will find that as I got into my military career, I kind of followed his footsteps. Not intentionally. <laughs> that's just the way it worked out. Now, as a child, what do you remember most about your dad's career? You know, that's kind of interesting because I guess it was – the latter part of high school, uh, when I realized, or maybe it was right after I graduated, I realized that I wasn't ready to go on to college. <laughs> I felt I needed to do something. Um, and so I decided that the Air Force was where I needed to go, and I was really interested, uh, particularly uh, watching uh, and being around uh, all those EOD folks all my, you know, adolescent life and high school life. And so I decided to, you know, I would follow him into the, the career field. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure he, he was uh, really kind of enamored with my decision, but, you know, he, he uh, supported me. Wow. So, so you remember your dad and you understood what his career field was, though? as a child i did but i didn't realize uh just uh the detail uh how stringent the course was the hazards involved i didn't know a lot of that until i went off to chemical school Mm -hmm. um up in huntsville alabama and then on to indian head um, and it was really kind of eye-opening. Uh, I, I really learned an awful lot. Oh, I bet. I bet. Um, it's, it's just interesting to me because my dad was EOD as well, and I was an Air Force brat you know, like yourself, and I don't think I remember or understood exactly what his, his job was. <laughs> so I'm just wondering, you know, did he, did he teach you about his job or...? Kind of, kind of no, in fact, uh, I think uh, he kind of did his best to keep us 
uh, away from it. Um, I mean, we knew about the hazards. Mm -hmm. We knew that he had a volunteer statement in. We knew that uh, he was getting hazards duty pay, you know, that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. But I don't think, you know, did not realize what that meant, that the detail or or, uh, just some of the hazards that you just take for granted after you uh, get trained. Uh, you just accept it, and you take the necessary precautions. Mm-hmm. So we all know how difficult NAV school EOD is. What was it like going through school with your father in the same field? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That uh, <laughs> was rather rather interesting as to itself. Um, it wasn't so bad because I was cross trained out of the medical career field when I first went to chemical school. Of course, they. Um, automatically knew who I was, didn't say a whole lot about it until I got to Indian Head. When I uh, PCS from uh, Redstone to uh, Indian Head, I, I walked into the orderly room, and they all knew I was coming, but I think they were all shocked. I think it made a lot of them feel... Uh, particularly, here's a, you know, what was I, 21, 22 at the time? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're going, holy smoke, now they're all feeling old. Uh, <laughs> and, and then on top of it, um, he was at, uh, at that point in time, it was Tactical Air Command at Langley Air Force Base um, as a functional manager. Um, he PCS to England to open up a EOD shop at Upper Hayford while I was going through school. And so the entire time I'm going through school, not only do all the Air Force instructors know who I am and know my dad, um, I'm just, you know, putting self-pressure onto myself right. just because I don't want to let him down and and all. So it was, it was uh, pretty stressful, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of pressure. Um, it, probably more so than other people um, just because I didn't want to let him down or, you know, anybody that, you know, knew him. And I had grown up <laughs> knowing a lot of these guys. Wow. And, and also, you know, yeah, yeah it, was, it was pretty stressful. Um, and I had some incidents, uh, particularly going through some of the practical areas. Um, that didn't make it any better, but anyway, um, I didn't roll, I didn't roll back. Uh, I didn't wind up going before a review board or anything like that. Uh In fact, I was the only Air Force guy that started at Redstone that graduated. Uh, All the rest of my Air Force, uh, classmates, all rolled out or decided they didn't want to be an EOD. I graduated with two other Air Force EOD guys that I picked up going through school that had rolled back. Wow. And all. Yeah. So uh, that, too. I'm watching these guys drop like flies. We Mm. started out with a class of about 28 people, and of that 28, there were about six of us that started together, that graduated, most of which were Army. Oh, wow. Interesting. So now, being a relatively small career field, can you tell us how your careers overlapped or how you two interacted professionally? 
let's see. Um, so when so when he left Upper Hayford, he got to Upper Hayford. He made chief master sergeant. There was not a slot for him. They PCS'd him back to Langley. He went back to TAC headquarters. Before I went to school, um, while I was stationed at Travis Air Force Base, they uh, offered me a base of preference, which I had no idea was coming. And so I immediately called Dad and said, hey, where is the best place I can go where I can further my knowledge, get more experience in the career field? And he just rattled off Nellis, Luke, and George Air Force bases. So that is the way I put them down. Thank goodness they gave me my first choice in a lot of ways uh, because that, in my mind, gave me the broadest experience that I got. And and uh, just because of the ranges that were out there, the aircraft that came through there, all that kind of stuff, um, a lot of the TDYs that we got to do. Um, but... He would never come to Nellis while I was there. He had, he made sure that, uh, I was on leave, TDY, whatever, if he had to come in and do a staff assistance visit or something like that. Mm -hmm. And also while I was there, we never did get to work together. It wasn't until I PCS and went to Spangdalem, Germany that he left Langley and went to Eglin Air Force Base to uh, stand up what they called the Air Base Operability Systems Program Office. Your dad closed <laughs> the Systems Program Office. Now. And, and, um, so How interesting. <laughs> oh, yeah, most definitely. So, yeah, yeah so I worked with, with your dad, not only at USAFE headquarters at Ramstein, but worked very closely with him while I was stationed down here at Tyndall at, at that point in time, the Civil Engineer Support Agency, and uh, doing a lot of modernization purchases and stuff. And uh, we had a great time working together. It is so, such a small world. <laughs> oh, yeah, big time. So uh, I was at Spangdalem, and he was at uh, Eglin at the program office. They did a huge... Air base operability exercise called Salty Demo 85. And he led the Air Force contingent, the Air Force portion of that exercise, where we were doing uh, air base operability, uh, base recovery after attack, uh, modernization, and, and all. So we got to work very closely together. Well, he, he'd come over to Spangdalem, and we'd do exercises leading up to this uh, large exercise. Plus, we got to go do a lot of uh, NATO uh, ordnance trials where we were shooting at ordnance. We were using different pieces of uh, equipment and tools with our NATO counterparts and, and also... I got to work very closely with him, you know, uh, that way and all. And then I would come back, TDY, when I was in Europe, uh, he retired in 1987, um, and I would come back to Eglin to do various things or 
Well, I come back to the United. <laughs> that was my bed and breakfast. I would stay with mom and dad doing stuff while I was uh, going through what they called the brat school. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and it was it was just great because we got to you know continue to keep other each other informed about what was going on. And he never did let go of the career field even after his retirement any more than I have. <laughs> since I've actually retired. Wow. So so do you feel like your father, I mean, he obviously must have been so proud of you. Did he mentor you, um, kind of take you under his wing? And, I mean, what a bond that is. Oh, well, not really, because I think he didn't want anyone to think that I was getting any preferential treatment. Right. However, comma, there's no <laughs> doubt in my mind he had so many other uh, chief master sergeants and captains and majors and lieutenant colonels that knew him, they were keeping an eye on me. And I had some very wonderful uh, NCO and senior NCOs and, and officers that took me under their wing and, and you know, kept me straight. And I mean, your dad was one of them even. <laughs> and all when I worked for him and and all I just the, the career feels so small and mm-hmm. we work so close together yeah. and all that we've constantly got each other's back yeah, and I and love all. that I love yeah. that about the community absolutely so now in addition to both being EOD techs you and your father also share a unique nickname can you tell us where Doc came from and how it evolved <laughs> um so I grew up, I, I was marshal yeah, all my life until I went in the career field. As soon as I went in the EOD career field, uh, they immediately started calling me Baby Doc. And, so, <laughs> and I'd grown up about, around it, watched my, my dad being called Doc. Mm-hmm. Never really thought much about it. And, and all until one day I asked him and come to find out that when he was in the second grade, they basically took their first and last initials, and what does that mean? And so MD, Marshall Dutton, medical doctor. <laughs> so he picked up the nickname Doc because of his, his initials. I love that. Because it named after him, I picked it up, but because he was still active duty, he was Papa Doc, I was Baby Doc, <laughs> which to this day I, doesn't bother me in the least. I enjoy being called Baby Doc, even though he has since passed and, and all. But it even is closer to me because of the, you know, three and a half years I spent in the medical career field oh, wow. before I crossed the mm-hmm. and And also, you know, Doc does stick with me um, uh, because of that as well. It resonates. Yeah, I can yeah. totally see that. That is so neat. Um, so currently you are the secretary of the Air Force Master Blasters. Um, can you tell us about their mission and, and how it got started? Well, was, we, that got started back in the early 90s that it actually uh, was a fallout of the Eglin EOD shop Christmas party. And there, there were so many retirees in the Eglin area and all, um, 25 of them, of them got together um, and decided, you know, we need to start an Air Force 
uh, fraternal organization so that we can keep track of each other, mm. you know, have this friendship and keep this bond going that, you know, they've grown over the number of years that they were in the career field. Yeah. So back in 1990, well, 92, they officially started it, but they actually, they considered 1993 is when it started. Um, my dad was one of the original 25, which uh, I think I just looked uh, the other day. I think there are about eight of the original uh, 25 still alive. Oh, wow. Um, and and all and it's just kind of grown. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you would expect, it kind of uh, wanes and then it grows and it wanes. It just depends. I mean, during the uh, you know Southwest Asia conflict and all that, there was so much going on over there um, that a lot of the young guys, uh, and they were rotating so often. Mm-hmm. that they didn't get too involved with the Master Blasters. Well, they're starting to kind of realize that and come back. But it's basically a fraternal organization where we can, uh, you know, kind of stay together, take care of one another. On top of that, um, we try to uh, be available uh, for immediate needs of Air Force families that have, yeah, they're in distress mm-hmm. and all. So that in the uh, time between uh, the Red Cross or the Air Force Aid Society or someone else coming to that family's assistance, we immediately try to reach out to those families and, you know, get them some uh, monetary helping hand initially, um, which we continue to this day. Um, and what's really been great for us is how uh, the EOD Warrior Foundation and the Master Blasters have grown together to work together to, you know, help uh, those people. Because we're just a, we're a small organization. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't do uh, any fundraising events. All of our funds comes from the kindness of the members uh we've had a a couple of members that have uh left their life savings to us um that in from uh the membership dues and and all but that was the main reason and a few years ago actually the first time we did it was back in the late 90s we did a master blaster of the year um where we had one person that we would uh, nominate to be uh, the best EOD technician in the Air Force. Wow. And the very first person that did that was now since retired Chief Master Sergeant Jeff Schley. Um, he was a Master Sergeant at the time, um, stationed at, at uh, Headquarters TAC, or, well, it's now Air Combat Command at Langley. Um, he won the first time and then it kind of died out for a while. Um, there are a number of, uh, career field managers that continue to try to push it. We tried to push it from the, uh, EOD division, um, here at the civil engineer, uh, center. 
Um, we finally got the Air Force Civil Engineer to buy in it, it, buy into it, and it's now an Air Force level award program that wow. we give out five awards every year. And this year was the greatest turnout that we've had active duty guys. We got to have four of the five uh, uh, award recipients attend the November reunion over the Veterans Day uh, weekend. It was just awesome. And the bottom line is this is an Air Force level award. It goes into their performance report. Um, I believe they get to wear an Air Force ribbon uh, because it's an Air Force level uh, award. Um, so it, it, it means an awful lot now. So we combine our reunion where we're doing the fraternal, you know, get together and, you know, see how one another are doing with the Master Blaster of the, the Year uh, awards presentation. Wow, that is so neat. So, so what do you have to do to, to get that title? Um, the, <laughs> it's astronomical because, I mean, EOD guys, they're what I would consider type A personalities. Mm -hmm. uh, you just have to be to make sure you stay alive, I think. Mm -hmm. And you just, you're involved in the community. You're doing great things within your organization. Uh, within the civil engineer squadron, um, there are four areas that they look at, um, and their supervisor and whatever, they submit a nomination package. It all goes to each major command. The major command uh, selects one person, and then that person is, uh, th that nomination package is sent to the career field manager and his team, and they select, uh, there's an airman, there's an NCO, there's a senior NCO, there is a company grade officer, and then there is a staff level award that is given out every, every year now. Wow, that is so awesome. I love it. Well, and, and if there's anyone out there who's considering joining the the Air Force Master Blasters. I have to say, I, I was lucky enough to attend uh, the recent uh, banquet, and it was a wonderful time and uh, and just a great group of people doing great things as well. And I know we appreciate you guys helping um, the EOD community through through those grants as well, because I know we've partnered several times um, to help families. So we we appreciate that a lot. Um, now, Doc, you... So, oh, wait, wait a minute. Wait, yeah. Let me put a plug in here real quick Do if it. I can. <laughs> so the thing that was really awesome, Maria, is that one of the other things that the Master Blasters does is we give out uh, what is called the Charles S. Stevenson Award of Excellence. Yes. That is named after the very first uh, air staff level officer that EOD ever had. Uh, and so we select people. Um, my dad was selected one year. I was selected a few years ago. Oh, wow. um, and just this one, this shows <laughs> how we're working so close together. Combination of the work that retired Lieutenant Colonel Greg Middleman has done with his 
you know, Air Force EOD career and what he is doing as the chairman of the board of the EOD Warrior Foundation, it was just a natural uh, thing for us to nominate and give him the Charles S. Stevenson Award for 2022 this year. Yes, yes. And we were so very proud of Greg. Um, and, and he does so much for the community, continues to work with the community. So, yes, that was very exciting. And, um, and actually why we were there <laughs> to, to be able to give him a standing ovation. So it's exciting. Um, now, uh, you consider yourself an unofficial Air Force historian. Um, what do you mean by that? And what are your aspirations and goals? So this comes from, again, from my dad. My dad, he's always, uh, he's been a great writer. Um, he can put together promotion packages and award packages. and uh, He took creative writing courses through the University of Maryland, you know, through his career and everything. His goal was to write at that point in time, a three-volume history of the Air Force EOD program. Wow. So the first volume was going to be from the inception of the Air Force uh, EOD program in 1947 through the end of the Korean War, and then it was going to go from the Korean War through uh, the end of Vietnam, and then Vietnam through when he retired in 1987 which was basically the Soviet Cold War era. And so when the word got out, that point in time, we had gone into Desert Storm, Desert Shield. We were over there in the desert and everything. And all these guys that you've got to add a fourth volume to -hmm. this so that we include all the time that was spent over there in Southwest Asia which they did. So he collected, oh my gosh, it's astronomical, all the historical documents that he collected. Well, when he passed in um, 2018, every bit of that, my mom turned over to me. So I have all that documentation. We've scanned it above and beyond what he had already scanned. I've got his hard drive. So I consider myself um, the, the, the unofficial Air Force EOD historian where if people want, you know, various questions answered. They come, uh, come to me and I dig into it. And I'll give you a, a good example. Um, not last year, I think it was a year before, um, one of the EOD flights was trying to determine who the first black chief master sergeant in the EOD career field was. Interesting. It, it, it was because back when they were doing all this, they didn't, they weren't considered about way, you know, the color of your skin or anything like that. It really took me a lot of digging to uh, determine who that was. And and all and get that you know information back to the EOD flight um, so that they could honor him uh, during Black History Month. And I want to say it was in 
I want to say it was in 20 or 21, and you know, which was good because I was locked behind my desk in the house because of COVID. And so I could spend a little bit of time digging into that. But it turned out that uh, that was Chief Master Sergeant Cressy Johnson, um, a great young man that I, as I dug into stuff, my dad looked up to him as one of his mentors. Oh, wow. And, and all. Um, and I had, had some great things to say about, you know, him and his, his wife and everything and, and all. So that's kind of what I picked that up. My goal is to honor his memory um, as best I can as the dust settles, the dust settles mm-hmm. um, now that I've retired. Um, I would like to see if I can pick that up. I've got the outline of what he was looking to do, um, but now it's kind of time to put a little bit of meat on the bones and, and uh you know, see how that, you know, works out and all. So we'll see. That is exciting. And then would you publish it? I, I would. Mm-hmm. I That's the goal. I mean, granted, it's going to be a very unique, small audience, mm-hmm. um, which is which is fine. I mean, I'm not looking to get anything that I ever, you know, we make off this would all go back to the Master Blasters. Wow, I love you that. You know, is what, what I, I would, uh, would do with I mean, I... It wouldn't be right, and and all because it's what, all about the career field. What would you call it, or what are you going to call it? I I do not know. I've just <laughs> just the Air Force UD history, I, at least at the surface at this point. Yeah, and that'll yeah. be volume one through volume four. You know, just be based on those particular years. You know, following his his uh, outline. Well, when when you have it published, let me know because I'm going to buy it for my dad. <laughs> <laughs> No, no problem. I will do that. Awesome. So, um, Doc, after you retired from the Air Force in 1998, you worked at Tyndall doing explosive research, but left shortly after to become a youth minister before returning in 2001. So what drove you to switch gears and then ultimately come back to explosives research? My children were in the local uh, church youth group. Um, I kind of, lack of a better way to put it, kind of did the old Heisman thing, kind of, kind of stiff armed it, let, you know, my wife and children do that thing. I was so wrapped up with doing modernization stuff for the EOD career field and, and all. Um, so it wasn't until I retired, as I was getting ready to retire, I started to get involved with the youth group, the youth group. Minister decided he was going to take a job in Dallas, and I was kind of the youth deacon. Um, and he asked me if I would watch over the youth group until they found a youth minister. So for about eighteen months, I worked doing all the stuff that he was doing while working at the Air Force Research Lab. I continued to do all this youth work, and it got to the point where we couldn't find someone that the parents agreed with, and the longer it went, the more parents started, they they wanted me to become the youth minister. (laughs) Uh, That was a rather unique 
thing because, I mean, I wasn't about to do it just because, um, you know, it wasn't my background. I mean, I could organize and, you know, I knew the Bible and that sort of stuff, but I just, I wasn't ready for that. But the more people talked about it and the more Denise and I talked about it, we just said, okay, we're going to give it a, give it a shot, which we did. I did it for about 20 months. That point in time, I was about 48 years old, and there's no way I could keep up with those young kids, those young <laughs> youth, uh, you know, 16, 18, I mean, yeah, I mean, and I was dealing with elementary school, middle school, high school, and college students. Wow. We were taking kids to Mexico to build churches, the whole nine yards. That's awesome. And all, and it just got to the point where I just, I, I just couldn't do it. So I left the Air Force Research Lab under very good conditions and good understanding, and I went and talked to them, and they said, yes, come on back. We want you. We'll take you. We'll let you work half days or whatever, hmm. and and all. And I'm going, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to split my time. So, hmm. yeah, I, I went back to the Air Force Research Lab, worked there until 2011, and that's when I, uh, the Civil Engineer Support uh, center or civil engineer center asked me or was looking for a EOD uh, program manager, mm-hmm. uh, modernization program manager. So I tossed my resume in there. There were about 75 or 80 candidates. Wow. And yeah, and I was the one that they decided to select. So from 2011 until, you know, 2021, I did modernization, and, and which I love. I mean, I, that is something I took from my dad, and uh, I watched him and the stuff he was involved in, and I went, that's what I want to do. Because so much of the stuff that we had was based on World War II and the British EOD people. Interesting. And, uh, and I'm going, we've got to do better than that. Mm-hmm. We, their technology has made leaps and bounds, and all. You know, so my dad started working it along with other uh, guys. There's a lot of chief master sergeants that all came together and other senior NCOs and some of the officers to push forward modernizing the career field. And then um, ultimately uh, I became that belly button to try to put you know more modern equipment in these guys' hands. That that just sounds so exciting. New new robots, different explosives, <laughs> weapons. Yeah, uh, it just sounds like it, it would be an EOD dream. <laughs> yeah, it was it was unreal. That's awesome. You said something uh, really inspiring to me, Doc. You said I could have done that type of work till I was in a walker. And I, I just found that so powerful um, because you know you're in the right place when you feel that way about about what you're doing. So I, I could. I mean, <laughs> it was tough for me in twenty uh-huh. to basically go and tell the colonels and everything that you know it's time for me to it's time for me to step aside. Mm-hmm. Um, my goal was to have some overlap time between me and my replacement 
and all because there's just so much stuff locked up in my gray matter that doesn't wind up on paper that I wanted to be able to, you know, do a mind meld with and, and all. Mm-hmm. Well, COVID put a kibosh to that. Um, and then uh, it turned out that the gentleman they decided to uh, hire uh, came from the Navy, of all things. And, and, all, and he was delayed getting in here. Although, uh, John and I have had some great times. Uh, we go to breakfast together. I go out there to Tyndall and sit down and talk with, with them and, you know, some of the other folks. I have not lost touch with any of those, those folks. But like I said, I could have done it until I was an invalid. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, you man. know, Denise and I have decided that, you know, we need to do stuff for ourselves. Yeah. Uh, we want to travel. Um, we've been out to uh, Malad City, Idaho, or actually Third Creek, Idaho, for a reunion out there a number of years. We drive out there, and it's a smaller version of what we do out here, and you're actually on uh, two guys, two retired Yogi guys, seven and a half acres, and guys come out there and they camp and they bring their RVs and, you know, they do a campfire. It's it's a whole lot different than what you just experienced at the reunion uh, here in Fort Walton. And, and also we, you know, do that. We want to travel. In fact, Denise and I are leaving the middle of this month, and we're going to go spend 30 days in Stuttgart, Germany with my daughter. How awesome. I love Germany. You're going to have so much fun. <laughs> now, I do, want to, I do want to mention this. You were recently recognized for your work on the recovery of air bases denied by ordinance, RADBO an armored vehicle with an integrated laser with the ability to shoot ordnance remotely. So what is RADBO and what was your involvement with that? Well, that, believe it or not, goes back to, again, my dad and a Chief Master Sergeant Jungle Jim Lawrence who was stationed at Indian Head at the the, uh, tech div up there at the time. Um, where we were actually, uh, the initial thing was is to put a 50 cal or a 20 millimeter on an armored vehicle where they would shoot at large piece of ordnance when you're trying to recover an air base or whatever. And as things continued in the, oh gosh, let me think about this, the early 90s, we started looking at laser technology and putting a laser on an armored personnel carrier and it is since a uh, transition to a three kilowatt laser that is on uh, an MRAP, uh, one of those large armored wheeled vehicles um, for the guys to just sit back and it's primarily meant for shooting small ordnance items to clear that rapidly but it can, you know, under the right conditions, they could shoot larger pieces of ordnance and, and all. Well, all these years, this is typical of research and development. Um, you go look at an airplane. It takes 20 years before from the time it gets put on, you know, the drawing board until it's in the pilot's hands. 
Well, there's no difference with this. It has taken all this time, and they are just now going to production and getting ready to put a number of these in the in the career field. And I think once the Air Force gets them, I think the other joint services are going to come on board and going to want one as want them as well. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure they will. <laughs> Wow, it, it's just amazing that that's like the Dutton legacy, you know, just how you and your father's <laughs> careers have just, you know, like interweaved and um, and you've accomplished so much, you know, that your father had started. So I just, I, I find that so amazing. And, and the book too. So it's such a neat story. Well, I hope people realize that I think the thing that I don't, neither one of us really pushed it out there much, but I think we are both very proud of the fact that he and I were the first active-duty EOD technicians in the Air Force together. Now, there are a number of others that have, and not just father-son, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> there are brothers, there are brothers and sisters. It, it's really neat to see how that has grown and, and how others I uh, have come into the into the career field because of you know their their father's legacy. Yeah, yeah, I, I've seen it too. I, I think it's wonderful. Um, I really do. So, but that is neat. You guys were the first, the original <laughs> gangsters. <laughs> so, um, so I was going to wrap this um, interview up with now that you are twice retired from the EOD career field, um, what are you going to be doing? Um, but I know one thing you're going to Stuttgart, which is amazing. (laughs) It it pretty much at this point in time boils down to whatever Denise and I agree to. I mean, I, we're living inside a log home that takes a lot of maintenance and, and all, and we both enjoy that. Um, there's gardening to do. Um, I like to hunt and fish. Uh, so, you know, I, we're both kind of active people. Mm-hmm. Um, bless Denise's heart. She could uh, read all day long and sew and, and whatever. The other thing I need to uh, is I need to get back on my model railroading. Oh, wow. I've got... I model engage uh, trains, uh-huh. and I've had a table setting up in our hobby room for 15 years now. It's basically just been a stopping point for whatever something needs to set on top of it. <laughs> um, the track's all laid out there. Uh, the mountain's built and, and all, but that, that's something I really need to put my nose to the grindstone and do when we get back from, from Germany. That is neat. So neat. Well, um, well, thank you so much, Doc, for being with us today and, and sharing your, your story about you and your father. Um, and thank you for everything that you do for our community. Um, all the research that you've done and all the hard work that you put into that. Um, and then also what you're doing with the EOD Master Blasters. We, we appreciate you so much. Not a problem. I think that through my dad, my mom, um, I've just grown a servant's heart. Mm-hmm. I enjoy doing things for people. Um, and not, I don't want any payment for it. I just <laughs> want to do it just, just for the satisfaction of being there to, to help. Well, well, thank you to your mom and dad. 
And um, also, I want to encourage anybody um, listening, any Air Force EOD technicians out there, encourage you to join the um, Air Force Master Blasters. We'd love to have them. <laughs> so, so on that note, real quick, if if they wanted to join or were interested, where where would they need to go? If they would go to the internet at afmasterblasters.com, mm-hmm. um, they can join there. Uh, they can pay online. Um, I'll get notified of it. We'll get them a membership package, and and the membership package uh, consists of right now. Uh, I generate a newsletter. I I want to do it twice a year. It hasn't really worked out that way, <laughs> but I do a newsletter called the Hellbox Times um, at least once a year, um, and then we try to keep you up on uh, goings on within the retired community. We have uh, Air Force active duty liaisons um, that are from Eglin, Tyndall, uh, Hurlburt Field, the uh, Air Force detachment of the schoolhouse that we reach out to so that we are sharing information back and forth so that we know what's going on on the active duty side and they know what's going on on the retired side. And and all the other thing that I'm really working on, something I've hopefully will get done while I'm in Germany, is a Air Force Master Blasters directory, which is like a phone book, which if I get the computer uh, program to work properly, I will generate that and have those printed and send them out with the the, uh, winter-slash-spring Hellbox times. Nice. That's awesome. Um, Well, thank you again, Doc, and, and thank you for being an inspiration. Um, to us all um, and as we like to end our podcast with uh, asking you a couple of your favorite things oh okay okay so the first one I was going to ask is and I think you you kind of alluded to this but what's your favorite hobby uh, probably hunting and fishing <laughs> primarily yeah it's over that's over the the train yeah well I mean of course they're so different. Hunting is kind of a fall, winter kind of thing. Uh-huh. Fishing, I prefer, you know, do it a little bit in the summer. There's lots of time for me to work on the train. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Awesome. So what is your favorite type of food and or meal? Hmm. Well, there is a picture of me <laughs> as probably a three-year-old. Uh, in a high chair <laughs> with a big old chicken leg in my hand. I I love chicken. If it's not chicken, it's probably spaghetti. Interesting. That is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and then my next question is, what kind of music do you rock out to? Well, let's see. I started out, you know, high school. I was one of them... I would say hard rock. I, I like easy listening rock and roll. Um, I really like uh, Stevie Nicks. I love her raspy voice Aww. and all. But um, as I've gotten older, I spend most of my time listening to a, a lot of contemporary Christian music. Oh, nice. That's awesome. Yeah. Awesome, awesome. Well, thank you again, Doc, and uh, we wish you the best on your trip to Germany. I hope you guys have a wonderful time. I appreciate it, Maria, and I appreciate everything 
that you and the EOD Warrior Foundations are not only doing for our Air Force people, but for the entire Joint Service community. Uh-huh. Without without the Warrior Foundation, I think we'd all be going our own four different ways and, and all, and it's just, it's wonderful to see how we're, we're coming together. I love it. I love it. One big family. Amen. Amen. Well, you take care, Doc, <laughs> and thank you again. All righty. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to our Behind the Warrior podcast brought to you by the EOD Warrior Foundation. The EOD Warrior Foundation is a 501c3 nonprofit organization serving the EOD community by providing financial assistance, scholarships, and providing hope and wellness resources for the active duty, reserve, National Guard, retired, and veteran EOD communities and their families. We also honor our fallen and wounded EOD technicians by maintaining the EOD Memorial and Remembrance Garden. We do all this through the generosity of individual and corporate donors and sponsors. If you would like to assist the foundation or support our Behind the Warrior podcast, click the link on our webpage at eodwarriorfoundation.org or contact us at info at eodwarriorfoundation.org. Thank you for listening, and don't forget to tell a friend. The various opinions, beliefs, and viewpoints expressed by guests, contributors, and participants of the Behind the Warrior podcast are their own and are intended for informational purposes only. They do not necessarily reflect the opinions, beliefs, viewpoints, or policies of the EOD Warrior Foundation or its employees and volunteers.